Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, whether it's a hard copy of Scripture or a mobile device where you can look it up. Um, If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one in the pew in front of you. If you use one of the ones in the pew in front of you, it's page 1,210. 1210. And uh, we want to make sure that you have your eyes on Scripture first. Uh, Because, as I like to often say, it doesn't matter what I think, it doesn't matter what you think, what we really want to uncover is what God has already said. And uh, that's our priority. Our priority has to be uh, what is God's Word told us, not what we think or what we want God to say, uh, but what He's already said. And we are... Uh, getting ready to start uh, a new teaching series for the next eight weeks. And this title is a little bit deceiving on purpose. Because when you first look at this and you go, tolerable sins, your first response should be, no! No way! There's no such thing as a tolerable sin. And yet, too often in the life of the church, we become okay with certain ways of living and there becomes sin behavior that we start to tolerate in our own lives. And what we're going to, Lord willing, unpack and uncover is that When we allow our lives to be driven by sin, it not only impacts our relationship with God, but it also impacts our relationship with each other. And we've come off of this focus as Christ is the servant king, the one who came and gave his life that we would we can walk in newness of life, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we celebrated last week this uh, peak of our faith, which is that we're not dead in our sins, but in Christ have been made alive. And yet, we need to be careful. Because sometimes we can become so focused on the grace of God that we lose sight of the justice of God. And it's important that we take both aspects of this in recognition, humble recognition of our sin, that we are broken people separated from God. Because when we recognize that, it brings the awareness 
and the scope of why in the world we need a Savior to begin with. So, today we're really going to be looking at sin broadly as we step into it. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to focus on some of these sin behaviors that we, as the church, have become prone to tolerate, uh, seeking to see... Why does scripture speak out against these things and how do those hinder our relationship with the Lord? And as we go through this, you're also going to get the opportunity to hear from a couple of our elders, too. So I'm not going to be the one teaching every single one of these. uh, But one of the things we're really blessed with here uh, is a cohort of leaders, shepherd elders, who are also going to teach you um, because uh, that is actually what the Bible commands that the church be made up not just of one guy, uh, but that in focus on the one man, Jesus, who's given us redemption, that corporately we would have uh, a handful of faithful brothers in Christ who can shepherd the flock with intentionality. And I love that I can say we we have that. And so you're going to get to hear from some of those other brothers in the weeks ahead as well as we navigate this uh, this this series. Um, I want to read First uh, John chapter 1, and uh, we're going to read the whole chapter, and then I'm going to give you at the front end of this the four, kind of an outline of this text, uh, the four main themes in First John chapter 1, and we're going to unpack them in the time we have together. But let's start in God's word. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we proclaim, we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you So that you too may have fellowship. Everyone say fellowship. So you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Father, may you bring to light the reality of sin. May you open our eyes to your holiness and to the hope you've given us in Christ. But may you bring about a weightiness in the accountability when we see ourselves for who we really are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Four main themes here in 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to walk through each one of these. 
There is fellowship. There is holiness. There is sin. There is hope. As a people, we are most prone to focus on the last element of these four. Because I'm convinced it's the one thing that most of the world is actually looking for. In the midst of tumultuous times and circumstances, we long for something that will bring us lasting hope, lasting peace, lasting joy. And while we often can recognize and go, these lasting things that we search for can only be found in Jesus, the thing that keeps us from truly experiencing the life that Jesus has given to us is our own sinfulness and not taking seriously how God treats sin in Scripture. And so I want to begin where the writers of First John begin as they're writing to faithful brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see right off the bat that these are actually, the writers of First John are people who witnessed the very glory of the Son of God. They, these were witnesses of Jesus Himself. That's why they say, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, we have touched concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, it was revealed, we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest, was revealed to us. And that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Um, so right off the bat, we need to understand that uh, the uh, reliability of the people writing First John is put into account, not by some knowledge they possess in and of themselves, but rather by their own personal witness and experience to who Jesus is. And this is really important because it would be one thing if this was just an abstract person disconnected from anything to do with Christ and what he called the church too. But they preface this and say clearly, um, church family, you can believe what we are saying to you because we were witnesses of the very things we're telling to you. These are not made up truths as Peter would identify, uh, we're not coming up with some elaborate scheme to trick you into following a certain way, but rather we want you to know this because we ourselves have witnessed this. And not only did they witness it, but they, many of them died for it. I don't know about you, but if something is made up or conjured up in order to kind of garnish support from a group of people, I'm going to be way less prone to die for that than something I know to be true because I've seen it with my own eyes. I've heard it with my own ears. I've witnessed these things and therefore I know them to be true and I want you to know the same. So we can see the preface of this in the very beginning sections of 1 John and yet in verse 3, they say, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowships with the Father and with His Son, Jesus, we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. And this word fellowship, 
uh, is the word koinonia in the Greek language. And, and what, this, what this means is fellowship is a partnership with. It's, it's partnership in or to have in common. So the very desire, the reason that these things are being proclaimed is so that uh, these individuals may have a partnership or may have in common the same things that the writers have in common, that they would have fellowship together. But what's further interesting is the qualifying statement that comes next, where they say our fellowship is actually with God the Father. Our partnership is with who God is and what He's called us to. And so what flows from that is the very desire of the writer of 1 John. The writers of 1 John is they're going, we want you as the church to experience the same fellowship that we ourselves have with the God of the universe. We want you to experience this same partnership in the gospel that we ourselves have not only witnessed, but are in fellowship with ourselves. The amazing truth about this is that as sinners, we have nothing in common with the Holy God, and it should leave us going, if we are separated from fellowship with God, how then is fellowship restored in a sense where we have partnership not only with God, but with the people of God. There's several scripture passages that reemphasize this emphasis on partnership and what we share in common with each other. Acts 2.42, the early church devoted themselves to teaching, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 1, nine. by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now what's interesting about this is in our westernized concept of fellowship, uh, we often equate fellowship with uh, church potluck. Right? And we think of actual whole buildings or sections of a church building that are called the fellowship hall. And yet, when we understand the true biblical meaning behind the word fellowship, where it's literally to have in common or to partner together with, if we base it around potlucks, I'm sorry, but if our partnership only exists around food, we are in big trouble. Right? If all we share in common is their desire to eat a meal, we're in big trouble. But in fact, the biblical notion of fellowship together is one that extends beyond that to something much more intimate that is rooted in who Jesus is and why he came. That our very partnership in life and what we share in common is rooted in what Jesus has done for us. Not something that we have any power to do in and of ourselves. This is why then, <clears throat> this passage in 2 Corinthians 6, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? 
What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, it's interesting in this passage, we actually often use 2 Corinthians 6 to specifically speak about marriage relationships. We say, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's not untrue, and yet it extends beyond that. But in fact, the application of 2 Corinthians 6 is to the church at large, that we would not be in partnerships with people who are walking in unbelief. Why? Because how are we to have fellowship with someone who is not redeemed in Christ? And what the biblical text would emphasize is in fact it is impossible for us to have biblical fellowship with unbelievers. That does not mean that it's impossible for us to share a meal with unbelievers. And in fact, Jesus himself did this. It does not mean that all of a sudden we go, oh, you know what? If you're not saved in Christ, you can't be here in the gathering of God's people. No, 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 no. If you are here and you're not sure what you believe or where you are, I praise God that you are here. But you need to recognize something. If you're here or you're listening to this and you have not made a decision to follow after Jesus, then you and I are living very different lives. And I cannot be in fellowship with you because we have different focuses as to what we are called to for the true church our call is rooted in who jesus is and what he has done the writer in first john says we want you to have fellowship with us as our fellowship is with the father in biblical community when we have fellowship with each other we fellowship with the father think about that for a minute Our fellowship is with God the Father. When we actually enter into biblical partnership in common with one another, we together get to be in fellowship with the God of the world. And that has been made possible through Jesus. There is unity in Christ. Unity that leads to togetherness. Unity that leads to partnership. Unity that breaks down every wall of hostility. And if you want practical example of what that unity looks like, I encourage you to write down Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 and read that this week. Read Ephesians 2 together and the focus on oneness rooted in Christ and that every wall of hostility has been broken down through what Jesus has done. There is fellowship. Now the second piece of this is there is holiness Look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. This is the picture of holiness. If we're to ask the question, who is God in this text? God is one who does not dwell in any darkness. There is no darkness in and of or around or in the midst of who God is. Because God in and of Himself is holy. Revelation 4.8 says, 
The four living creatures, each of them six wings are full of eyes and all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say. Holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Psalm 99 verse 9. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is what? Holy. 1 Samuel 2, 2. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. You know, we are prone to forget that God is holy. And more and more, even as we think about culture at large, culture abroad, we really like to put God in our own little box and make God into someone that we want him to be. And it's interesting that when we put God in our own little box, we forsake God ever being someone of judgment or wrath. Because who wants that, right? You know what's interesting? If you ask your children to uh, describe in their minds what a perfect parent would look like, you want to guess what would be removed from the equation? Discipline. Just punishment. Rules and regulations. Seriously. Why? Because I don't like it. I like the freedom to do what I want without any ramifications. In our house, it would be, I like to eat as much candy as I want without any consequences. And yet, this is what's beautiful. This is what's beautiful about how God has equipped the family structure to emphasize who He is in the sense that in, an, in our brokenness, in our immaturity, we do not know what we need. We do not recognize what is most needed. And so he has given earthly instruction and discipline and structure for our own benefit. In fact, scripture identifies and says God disciplines the ones he loves. But to step back and go, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Guess what that translates to? God in his holiness cannot allow darkness, the darkness of sin, to dwell anywhere in his vicinity. This brings us to the third focus, which is the focal point of this. There is sin. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is very clear. It is not hard for us to see what the word of God is saying here. But it's important we step back a minute and we actually ask the question in this context, what is sin? And for some of you, this is going to be familiar, but for others of you, you may have no idea. It's kind of hard to see. But sin is an archery term and literally means to miss the mark. But what we don't often talk about, we, we might be able to say, well, I know sin is missing the mark, but what is the mark? 
The mark is, in fact, God's holiness. You know what that means? If at any point you do not achieve the holiness, the perfection of who God already is, you have missed the mark. You are unable to be in his presence. Why? Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The mark is God. What's amazing about that is that Christ came and took the form of a man and dwelt among us to reveal to us what it looked like to live and walk a sinless life. So that you would not only have God's word to reveal to you what's expected of you to walk in holiness, the commands of God, but you actually have an example to follow. To say, this is what it looks like to be more like Jesus. And when we understand this is the picture, all of a sudden we realize, or we should realize, how often we miss the mark. And yet, what this says in verse 6 should bring a great deal of humility and concern to us. Where it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. Here's the hard truth, family. If I choose sin, I relinquish fellowship with the Father and with His people. It is impossible. To live in unrepentant sin before God and have true biblical fellowship with the church of the God you claim to serve. Why? Because sin separates us from a holy God that will not allow any darkness amongst himself. There is no person who is without sin. If we convince ourselves that we are good enough, we are not honest with ourselves or God. There is no person who naturally comes into fellowship with Creator God. Every one of us is separated from Him. There is no person who can be in true fellowship with God's church until he first has fellowship with God Himself. Now, church family, here's what I have been convicted by as I have sought to understand this. I'm convicted that if we understand what God has called us to in Christ, that true biblical fellowship, biblical partnership cannot exist between followers of Jesus and those who are of this world. So if we think about that, what is our relationship with the world to be and I would simply go to 2 Corinthians 5 and say we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. But in the further scope of this, church family, we have got to recognize that if I am seeking to be in biblical fellowship and partnership with the local church body, 
or more importantly, if I'm seeking to be in fellowship, to walk in partnership with what God has called me to, and I am choosing to live in unrepentant sin in my life, you lie. You cannot have fellowship with the holy God. And you cannot say that you are in partnership with the body of Christ if you choose unrepentant sin over the holiness that God has called us to in Christ. You cannot. Now, if we just end the message there, every one of us would leave here with our heads low, as we should. But there's a fourth element in this that becomes so much more real when we understand the brevity of our condition. And it is this. There is hope. Verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church family, in the midst of our sin, there is hope. And how is this hope brought to be? It's through Christ and him crucified. Only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus can forgiveness be found. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, get this, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There is hope for the wayward sinner, and that hope is found in Jesus. <clears throat> now, you might be wondering, as we think about this, okay, I, uh, I recognize that there is uh, sin problems in my life. And I recognize that there is forgiveness in Jesus' name, but how do I walk in that forgiveness how do I live in light of that? And I just want you to put a finger in First John and turn to Psalm chapter 51. Because the best I can do is give you an example of someone who acts and lives in repentance when confronted with their own sinfulness. As you're turning there, I want you to understand the scope of this story. King David was called a man after God's own heart. And yet, King David in his flesh sinned. He lusted after the woman Bathsheba and called her to himself, but found out she's married. So he sends her husband Uriah to the front lines of the battle and he is killed this all takes place after David has already slept with Bathsheba and she becomes pregnant. So David schemes to try to get Uriah to sleep with his wife so that he's off the cuff. And, oh, now they'll think that it's his child, not David's, and this won't be a problem anymore. Uriah refuses because he's like, I need to be back with my comrades in battle. So David puts him on the front lines. He's killed. So David essentially uh, lives in infidelity. And then murders 
Bathsheba's husband. And he continues on with life. And God sends Nathan to confront David. And this is a great example. This story is a great example. Why you need to be in fellowship with the local church. Because you are prone to wander in your sin. And the responsibility of us as brothers and sisters in Christ is to call you into accountability. For the glory and the holiness of God. And when David is confronted, here's a couple options he has. Okay, David could root into his sin. I am who I am. It's done. I can't change it. I'm going to stay here. And in anger, remain where I'm at. Or he can act and live in repentance. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 51. And this happens after he's confronted with the depth of his sin. And I want to read this and you think about what does it look like for me to walk as a follower of Jesus when I recognize the brevity and the depravity of my sin. This is what he says. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot all all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgression, transgressors your ways. Sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness of God. O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifice, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Church family, we have a choice. We have a choice to recognize our sin and to walk in repentance or a choice to root into our sin and remove ourselves from fellowship with God himself and with the body of Christ. Because fellowship cannot exist. Biblical fellowship cannot exist with unrepentant sin present in our lives because we cannot have partnership in that which is light if we are living in darkness. We cannot. This church family is exactly why, as church leaders, 
we faithfully seek to practice Matthew 18 in calling each other into accountability and discipline because we desire that every one of you would be in fellowship with us. That every one of you would experience a partnership in what God has done in Christ and that together we could dwell in that unity together. So what should we do when we recognize our sin and we see the hope that is given us in 1 John? We should mourn sin. We should flee sin. We should lay aside sin and run to Jesus. Because he is the only one who can not only cleanse you, but restore you into fellowship with the Father and his bride, the church. So what now? Just have a few focal points because where the rubber meets the road, we have a responsibility. And there's not any one of us individually who can force you into this. You and you alone know where you're at in standing in contrast to the holiness of God. Christ has made a way. Amen? Christ has made a way. There is hope, but you have to step into that hope and receive what God in Christ has given us. What do I do if I recognize the sin in my life or if I have been called out on sin in my life? What do I do? Number one, confess your sin to God and to those who have wronged you. This is biblical. Verse nine, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You recognize what the qualifying element here is? Confess your sin. If you don't confess your sin, don't expect forgiveness and cleansing from your sin. You have to recognize you're in sin in order to be cleansed from that sin. That's step one. But two, here, all right. True hard reality, family. We are often prone to do step one and stop there. Here is the second piece that's super important. Turn from your sin and pursue holiness. Now, you might go, whoa, 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 okay. I've been told all my life that I can't be perfect. I'll never be perfect. How in the world am I supposed to do this? I just want to emphasize these passages of Scripture that speak deeply to our call to pursue holiness. Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. First Peter one, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Hebrews twelve fourteen, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. First Thessalonians four, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. You have a responsibility and a choice. To turn from your sin and pursue holiness. You have the ability to stop choosing sin. Make the choice to do so. Number three. Just as David did. 
when I recognize my sin and I recognize the hope that's been given me in Jesus, I can celebrate the life and hope that has been given to me in Christ. And here's the amazing thing, church. When I recognize how deep my sin really goes, I all of a sudden have so much deeper of a love and appreciation of what God has given me in Jesus. Oh, but if I have no concept of my sin, why would I need to celebrate something I've been given in Christ? I'm good as I am. No, you're not. That's why you need Jesus. And fourth, walk in the light as he is in the light. Verse 7 of 1 John. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Church family, surround yourself with other people who are pursuing to walk in the light of Jesus. And then pick up your Bible and be in the Word of God. You want to know what holiness looks like and how we're to pursue it? You will not know what that looks like apart from God's church family and God's Word. It's the purpose. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to prepare to sing a song together. But I want you to think about this. There is salvation and freedom available to you in Christ. You will never be able to walk in the full life and freedom that God has offered us in Jesus if you remain rooted in your sinfulness. If you remain rooted in your sinfulness... Your relationships will be destroyed. Your fellowship with God will become non-existent. And your fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ will cease to be. If you choose to live in your sinfulness, I promise you, you will experience brokenness and hurt and pain. And you'll be grasping for anything that will bring you hope. And I just want you to know there is hope. (laughs) And his name is Jesus. And God in his abundant grace has offered us salvation, freedom from our sin. But you have to make that choice. To walk in your sin. Or to walk in the holiness that's offered to us in Jesus. What will you choose? As we reflect on this, the song that came to mind is a powerful old hymn. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Grace, grace, God's grace. And so we're going to proclaim that together. But as we do that,
Maybe you need in the midst of this to actually take the first step of confession of sin. (coughs) Maybe you need to take the second step. Maybe you've confessed your sin, but you need to turn. And you need to leave here deciding you are going to go another direction because you are going the wrong way. And maybe this time has just reemphasized for you the glory and the power and the satisfaction that exists in the name of Jesus. And so let this time be an opportunity for you to respond however you need to respond. And then let's leave here choosing together in partnership with one another to pursue holiness and to live and walk as Jesus lived. Amen? Father, may we proclaim these things. May we actually resonate with the reality of our sinfulness and walk in a newness of life that is given to us only in Jesus. God, may we walk in humble confession May we walk, Lord, just in a a humility that mourns our sin and not only mourns our sin, but flees our sin. God, that you would break us (laughs) to the depth of who we are so that we could experience the life-giving power of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray.